Welcome to the Progression Hill Podcast. I have Diana Hill on again. Diana, would you like to reintroduce yourself to the listener? Sure. I'm a clinical psychologist in Santa Barbara. I specialize in acceptance and commitment therapy or training act. And I really see my goal in life is to help people become more psychologically flexible so they can live a life that's in line with their values and also contribute to the world in positive ways. I'm also the host of the Your Life in Process podcast. Very good. You have a lot of different ways to help people. So you mentioned flexibility and values. Can you just kind of explain those a little bit for anyone who's not aware of them and, you know, why flexibility is a useful skill and also why it's useful to know your values? Sure. Well, values are qualities that you bring to important domains of your life. So say you have the domain of health. And you think about what's important to me in this domain. How would I want to show up in this domain? If someone were videotaping me over the course of my day, what would they see me doing? How would I act if I were lining up with my values in the domain of health? And they're really personal and and unique to each and every person. So like favorite colors, yours may be red, mine may be green. It doesn't really mean that red is better than green, but um, that you are drawn to red and I'm drawn to green. And values also give us vitality. They give us energy. So when we are low on motivation, which we all get from time to time, they can re-energize us and remind us what we're, why we're doing this. What is this all about? So that's what values are. And they're really at the cornerstone of ACT, knowing what your values are and living out your values. Where flexibility comes in is that values are often, when you live out your values, it's also often not the most comfortable thing to do. It can be comfortable and great, but a lot of times it's quite uncomfortable. It means confronting fears that you may have, uh, maybe confronting physical discomfort. And flexibility is a set of skills, and psychological flexibility is a set of skills that help you move towards what's uncomfortable when it's in line with your values. And that can happen in all sorts of different domains of your life. Very good, yeah, that kind of leads into my next question, which is when you have competing values. So like you finish work and you're feeling a bit tired, a bit jaded. You also know that your health is important and that you should work out. Or maybe even you should use the ACT journal and should do a bit of writing just to reflect on your day. So I find a lot of times I'm aware of competing values. I want to do A, but I also want to do B. I want to do the task one, but task two. How do you sort of figure out those situations when there's competing values? Yeah, I guess I would reframe that. I wouldn't see that as competing values as much as um, competing thoughts, <laughs> competing shoulds, right? Because you use the word should in there. And anytime someone uses the word should, I think, oh, okay, that's a thought. Like I should work out, right? And the value that may be underneath both resting and working out may be a value of taking really good care of your body, of your physical health, right? And sometimes taking care of your physical health is resting your body. Sometimes taking care of your physical health is pushing your body. There's, um, you know, a whole slew of research around good stress, you know, hormetic stressors, having these intense short bouts of intense stress prepares our bodies to be uh, more resilient when longer term stressors show up, right? And also there's a whole lot of research on uh, constructive rest and deep rest and the importance of rest for cellular regeneration. Both are true. So how do you hold two thoughts that are sometimes paradoxical and it feels like they're pulling you to vote in, in um, different directions? It's not getting stuck in either or thinking, but rather 
approaching it with a both and mindset. I both want to move my body and I'm tired and I want to rest. So how could I come up with a creative, innovative um, way of responding to my value of caring for my physical health, but not feeling I have to choose either or? And that can be all sorts of things. You know, oftentimes with our um, our shoulds and, and competing thoughts, it's because they're rigid. They think that exercise has to look a certain way and they think that rest has to look a certain way. You know, if I don't lie down for a full 20 minutes then I'm not really getting my rest. But sometimes for me, I just go outside. I have a lot of um, uh, succulents from Santa Barbara, a lot of succulents. And I go outside and I look at a succulent for just a few breaths. And there's research on looking at repeated uh, patterns, this sort of fractals in nature that actually brings your brain, like soothes your brain back down. So just I'm giving myself a little mini rest right there. And then there's other times where I may do a deeper rest, like a full body relaxation that's 20 minutes long. So getting flexible with the thoughts, but continuing to pursue the value, the underlying value. I hope that helps. Maybe you could give me an example if there's something specific that you are up against. The, the example that came to mind for me, I was thinking of doing a podcast. It's like, I think public speaking, this is kind of like a version of public speaking for me. So okay. I'm like, I'm nervous. I feel a bit challenged, but then I'm like, it's a rewarding, meaningful, informative conversation. That, that was the example that came to mind for me. Yeah. So that's a perfect example of psychological flexibility, which is uh, your willingness to make room for the anxiety and you can even feel where it is in your body. You may notice it's in certain parts of your body, stronger in others. Um, make room for that. Allow that to be there as you continue to pursue the value of doing this podcast, right? The, the values underneath that may be wanting to offer ideas to listeners that could help their lives improve. Maybe it's also builds your own um, psychological richness and that there's interest. I, I do a podcast too. And every person that I talk to, I get energized by because I'm learning new things and I really value ongoing life learning. So doing a podcast is a great way to do that. And yeah, there's a lot of discomfort that shows up as you do that. And that's actually what makes it sometimes more meaningful. The most meaningful things to us are often the things that are most painful. Yeah, I think I hate to make it kind of like hardcore or something on those lines, but yeah, like the the challenge of the struggle is what can make it worthwhile. So you just mentioned rest and just getting different forms of rest and how effective is, you know, taking a full body relaxation, like you mentioned, or, you know, those 20 minutes or going into the garden, looking at, you know, the, the succulents compared to like a nap or sleep, because I would have just thought of, oh, I just, you know, to get more rest, the only options are a nap or to sleep more effectively. But if there's other options, like you mentioned, that would be a much more effective way to get rest throughout the day. So how effective do you find those options you mentioned? Well, there's a researcher at UCSF, Alyssa Apple, that um, is a friend of mine. I've interviewed her a couple of times, and she studies exactly that. She studies um, both hormetic stress. She's one of the people that um, was one of the first researchers looking at telomere length um, and the benefits of hormetic stress and then the benefits of rest. And what she suggests is that their um, rest is sort of these different levels. There's like, you know, there's red mind states when we're stressed, and then there's green mind states when we're kind of neutral. And then there's these blue mind, really deeply restorative states. And when we get into those blue mind states, whether that's through meditation or through doing a yoga nidra 
Um, I offer, uh, you know, regular meditations on Friday mornings for folks, and we really get into blue mind, right? During those states, you're going to see the best benefit in terms of your cellular regeneration and also just in terms of your mood and all sorts of things. But but the mini rests are also important. One way to think about it is you take your car in and you get like your wheels rotated and you, you know, get it gassed up and you you take care of your car. And then at like 100,000 miles, you really take care of your car, right? So it's important to do both. And certainly sleep is uh, one of those places where we get a lot of benefit in terms of, um, you know, brain health and physical restoration of our bodies. But these mini rests throughout our day will make it so that at the end of the day, we don't feel as completely trashed and then have to turn to things like alcohol or food or just random scrolling on our phones. Um, We don't get to that wired and tired state. And one way that I do that is is by paying attention to my own ultradian rhythm. So ultra is a word that means many. So we have circadian rhythms. We go to bed, we wake up. But we also have ultradian rhythms, which are rhythms throughout our day when our energy dips. And then our energy comes back up, right? And for a lot of folks, they notice that energy dip. That's when they go and get a coffee. Or that energy dip is when um, maybe they get a snack uh, or smoke a cigarette, right? But if you actually respond to that energy dip with a little bit of, of restorative, like a little rest um, or a little movement, it can help you be able to get to the end of your day without feeling so um, like you have to crash. Interesting. I, I definitely get that with the workout where I can feel maybe more tired when I started than when I finish. I feel like I have more energy by the end of it, which is, yeah, mm-hmm. to your point. So I think this is a part of ACT is uh, cognitive diffusion. It's kind mm-hmm. of a, a term that like threw me. I was like, what exactly? All right. Diffusing the mind. Is it relaxation? Could you explain that term? And, you know, also a little bit about ACT and just how it's a useful tool to have. Sure. Well, ACT really developed out of cognitive behavioral approaches. It sort of stands on the back of cognitive behavioral approaches. People may have heard of CBT. Uh, but what's one thing that really makes it different, in addition to values work, is it's a, a relationship to thoughts. So in old school therapy, like when I was trained over 15 years ago, we used to um, work with people to try and change their thoughts. We'd say things like, you know, if someone came in and said um, that they really hate themselves, we try and look for all these evidence of why they're a good person, right? But the nature of our thoughts is actually that they don't like to be controlled they don't like to be suppressed. And more often than not, when you try and change someone's thinking, they just have this resistance and rebound to think the opposite, right? And so with cognitive diffusion, what you're doing is observing your thought, recognizing that if you can observe your own thought, notice your own thought in your mind, then you can choose whether or not you want to respond to it or not. And if you can observe it, you aren't it. So just like you can observe the chair across from you in the room or you can observe, um, you know, a, a doorknob, you're not that doorknob, you're not that chair because there's a you that's observing that, right? So the same is true with our thoughts. Once we observe our thoughts, it gives us a little bit of distance from them. So then we can choose what we want to do with them. Some thoughts are really self-critical. Some thoughts are really demotivating. Some thoughts are judgmental of others. Some Some thoughts aren't even our own thoughts. They came from our parents or from culture or society or something that we read that we don't even want to have, right? 
But if you are able to step back, give a little space, say, huh, that's a thought. Thanks, mind. Notice it. Then it doesn't have as much control over you. Those kinds of shoulds, the rules, uh, the rigid thinking that we all have doesn't have to run the show. So if I had a thought that was maybe self-critical or let's just say, you know, it is that kind of evening time after work and I'm kind of feeling tired. Is it a, a simple case of, okay, I acknowledge it and I tell myself I have more energy than I think or something, a counteracting kind of hot or in, no. in, yeah, in practice? <laughs> it's how, not, how do, is it, <laughs> it's <laughs> not counteracting it at all because you might be tired, um, but focusing on how tired you are may not be the most helpful and motivating thing. It may be more helpful for you to say, well, you know what? I remember there was a version of me like seven hours ago that really wanted to work out this evening. And why did that, I can't, what, what was that about? What did that version of me care about? Can I turn my attention to that version of me? That, that version of me that really cares for me. And, and, and maybe there's a version of me tomorrow that's going to wake up in the morning and feel really good that I live today in a way that was in line with my values. What's, what's my, my tomorrow version of me going to want to, going to want me to do that? That is not challenging the thought. It's just acknowledging. Yeah. I have the thought that I'm tired. Every morning when my alarm goes off, I have the thought, I don't want to get out of bed. Do I listen to it? No. I mean, that wouldn't be super helpful because I there's a version of, they, I, there's all these sorts of things that I want to do in the morning before my kids get up. So that's where it's, you just get a little bit like, oh, I always have that thought. How old is this thought? It's been, I, I've had this a million times before. What happens when I listen to it? What happens when I don't listen to it? And when you get flexible with your thoughts like that, rather than just like, obeying them they're like you know sergeants in your head telling you what to do you have a lot more freedom to pursue what you want to pursue in your life you act more from your heart than you do from your head and when you do that then all sorts of you know the world can open up for you so would writing make this a lot easier if we we're able to kind of see our thoughts written down yeah like the kind of the options we have mm -hmm. so sometimes i'll i'm working on a book right now a second book that's going to be out Take forever to come out so like 2024 but i you know i um it's a book on act and on compassion and the whole time i've been writing this book i have two critics in my head one is a critic that's saying you're not doing act right <laughs> and it has like the voice of like you know but you're, but you're the expert on act or one of the yeah 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 act. but i yes right but that's the thing is the more expert you get the more you think that you're not an expert so I have that critic in my head. And then I have the critic in my head that says, you're not doing compassion right. Okay. And so as I'm writing my book, as soon as I start listening to those critics, it, it makes me stop working, right? It, it makes me over edit things, go and look up what everyone else said instead of writing what I want to write. You know, it actually put a real block in me completing this project. So what I started to do is I kept this little, um, a sticky notepad by my computer and anytime the um, act critic voice would show up. I would just write it down on a sticky note and just put that sticky note by my computer. Anytime this passion voice showed up, I'd write it on a sticky note and put it down. And I just would just let my, really let my thoughts go by writing them down and putting them on um, the computer on, on the ground. But then what I would focus on is what am I here for? What are my values? My values are to get this thing done and out into the world so it can be helpful to people, not necessarily for it to be perfect. So that's where we can start to, you know, we can physicalize our thoughts, journaling about them, writing them down on a sticky note, just acknowledging them, saying thanks, but no thanks. I don't need you right now. 
and then focusing your attention. And it is a attention training exercise to focus your attention on what's most important to you in this moment. That sounds very useful as, you know, I've written in a journal or, you know, back journal. And I feel like, you know, you do that at one time point, but then to carry it forward to another challenging time point is tricky. So do, do you write down both sets of thoughts to kind of compassionate and critical or just the critical so you can see them? How do you actually do that process? You can do it all sorts of ways. You can get flexible and creative with it. What works for you, right? So you could just sit down and write, you could just write your critical thoughts on post-it notes and just put them down so that they're out of your head and on the, on the post-it note. You could, sometimes what I'll have folks do is I'll think about, I'll have them think about a value they, they actually want to pursue in their life and something that's really important to them. And then write down that value and put it on your bathroom mirror. And when you brush your teeth in the morning, focus on that value. This is really important to me. This is something I want to live out today. Spend some time reminding yourself of your value. And then when you brush your teeth at night, remind yourself of all the things you did that day that lived out that value. And, and so that you're reinforcing it. Like, yeah, today I really was courageous. I, I, I did it here. I did it here. I did it here. I'm living out my value of courage. So that's another way to use something like a, um, a cue to remind you to practice something. But there's lots of different creative ways you can go about it. And that's the thing that I love about ACT and about this work is that it's not so rigid as, as like, I think some of the self-help methods, you feel like you have to follow the steps and the bullet points, one, two, three, four. And I don't know, I haven't met anyone that really can follow the bullet points, one, two, three, four. We're, um, we have so many bar barriers that come up. We all are different in terms of what works for us. For some people, sticky notes are great. For other people, think sticky notes are hokey. It doesn't, it, that doesn't really matter as much as figuring out what works for you to be able to practice the principle that's behind it. Yeah, life is just so dynamic and changes so much. So if somebody had a value, for example, to exercise regularly, is it possible that someone could pursue a value and then in that process realize, oh, I don't actually value what I thought or it's not serving me? Could it kind of run its course and sort of change over time? Well, I would say to exercise regularly is not a value. Right. There we go. There's a value that drives you sometimes to exercise regularly. Uh, sometimes it may not be exercising regularly. If you're injured, um, if you're maybe yeah recovering from something, if you have a physical disability that requires you to exercise in a different way. Um, so the value to you that may drive you to exercise regularly right now in your life may be a value um, of I want to be around, I want to take care of my body so that I can play with my children and be as energetic and um, engaged with my kids as possible. For somebody else, it may be, I want to take care of my body so I can have as much mental focus as possible um, in doing my work. For somebody else, it may be, I want to take care of my body because I know that when I care for my body, my own mental health, my own depression or anxiety is um, better mitigated, right? So those are Caring for your body with intention around these different aspects of, of what that means to you. And sometimes that may mean to exercise regularly. Sometimes that may mean to take a break from exercise um, because your body needs to heal or um, is going through a change in some way. So was it what I said? Was it missing a bit of flexibility? Was it like too rigid? It was the behavior and not necessarily the quality or the reason, the reasoning behind it. 
Yeah. So to exercise regularly is a behavior. Um, the value underneath exercising regularly is caring for your body or um, being uh, patient with yourself or working hard at your physical, you know, in your relationship with your body. Or um, it really has to do with values have to do with like, what is it that you care about that's underneath that behavior? The quality that you bring to it. Because exercising regularly could be really rigid and 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 harmful to your body in certain certain circumstances. I exercised really regularly when I was anorexic. I would wake up at 4 a.m. and go run 10 miles and then get on a stairmaster. That's not necessarily living out a value for me. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely did too much exercise earlier this year, and yeah. I'm realizing that it's more about. Uh, I think the underlying value is more like just to kind of live in my body, feel healthy, relate to other people through movement. And yeah, yeah that's much yeah. more effective than to exercise regularly. Yeah. Relating to other people through movement. That's a beautiful value. And you could do that in lots of different ways. You can make a career out of it as I do. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So then in the journal itself, so just what we were talking about off air, the uh, page 121. So you were talking about not having a couch at home. And the thinking you had behind this, and I was like, I've heard people not have a TV at home, but to not have a couch, like practically, how does that work? You know, how do you sit down? What, you know, you have cushions. How does that play out? There's many cultures all over the world for thousands and thousands of years that have survived without couch couches. Um, so it's only only recently that we've had couches. Uh, but I got really interested over a decade ago, I got really interested in nutritious movement, which is something developed by Katie Bowman. She's a biomechanist um, who uses a lot of science behind um, more kind of natural forms of movement. And in part of that was that I have a really sedentary job. I'm a therapist, so I sit all day. And I also um, have scoliosis, so I have a crooked spine. Uh, and I'm also a, a lover of movement and, and lover of yoga. And I, I wanted to figure out how could I bring more movement into my life? And also, how does our environment, the physical environment that we're in, impact our, our movement, right? So if there's a couch in your room or a couch in front of your TV or a couch in front of a screen, um, you're, you're likely to go and sit on it, right? It's like it's saying, hey, sit on me. Just like if there's cookies on the counter, you're going to eat them, right? So our environment certainly impacts the way that we live. And at the time, you know, I also had young kids. I really wanted them freedom to move. Um, and so we got rid of uh, any piece of furniture uh, really in front of a screen in our home. Um, we had uh, I mean, way back when we cut the legs off of our dining room table so we could sit on the floor. <laughs> I mean, we were all in. And it, it, what it did is helped me, if you think about getting up and down from the floor, you have to get into a squat position. You have to get into a lunge. Uh, you have to have enough balance um, to be able to get down and up without falling over. Uh, you also need to have strength, right, in, in your legs. And then when you're sitting on the floor, you're holding your body up. So I'm sitting on the floor right now. My body is holding itself up, not a couch, right? So I'm, I'm not outsourcing that strength of my core. Um, I'm using my, my legs. I can move around in different positions as we talk. So I'm kind of spreading them wide or I'm crossing them over. And that just will mean that I'm kind of doing mini yoga poses all day long. So we started there and uh, we did that really all the way up until about last year. So my, I have a 13-year-old son, two boys, and uh, we never had a couch. 
And so we have, um, you know, in our playroom, we have a basketball hoop. We have rings that hang from the ceiling Um, in our room that has our computer. We have a standing desk. Um, So then I have a 13-year-old son that said, hey, that started to disappear into his room. As 13-year-old boys do, I'm sure you were a 13-year-old boy at some point, you just start to go into your room. And another value emerged for me, the value of um, moving, you know, moving my body so I can, so I can take care of my body. Right. And another value emerged, which is connecting with my family. And what he really asked for, he said, mom, I want a couch. It's not comfortable. And so we got, we ended up getting a couch, but here's the big caveat. We still have cushions on the floor around a low table that we can sit on. We still have a big open space that sometimes we'll bring a ping pong table into um, and we also have set up our whole outside area to be evolved. So if you look at my front yard right now, there's like a baseball net that, you know, with the tee there for kids to hit. There's a basketball hoop. There's a spike ball um, circle thing. I mean, my yard looks like <laughs> a complete mess so that there's some choices to move and that are choices around fun movement because uh, a lot of our kids are sedentary. A lot of our kids are on greens way too much. And so this got him out of his room into our collective living space. But most of the time, he's not even on that couch. He's outside hitting a ball. And that is really my my goal. So it's an example of just being flexible as we evolve and change uh, and not getting too rigid about saying, I don't have couches. But we still don't have a couch in our TV room or really anywhere else. Brilliant. Yeah, I love that idea. I feel like that's flexibility in, in practice. Yeah. So it's one way to go about being flexible to kind of challenge your thinking and, and just almost like, I think the idea you have in the journal is like sky mind or something along those lines. Is it just kind of taking a, a perspective that is, is different to what you've, you know, uh, grown up with, for example, like the kids are used to sitting down on a couch. So just challenging old behaviors, old ideas. Yeah. You're talking about a core process. So act has six core processes in it. One of them is values. We've talked a lot about that. One of them is, First um, is cognitive diffusion. We talked about that. Acceptance, being able to be with the discomfort as it shows up. Uh, another one is actually what you're doing, like the you know physical actions that you do. Uh, being present is another one. But you're talking about another act process, which is sometimes called self as context. Uh, it's also called, we call it perspective taking. Debbie Sorensen and I co-authored the book with me because it's a little bit easier to kind of wrap our heads around what that means. And perspective taking most of the time, we have a very sort of self kind of perspective. This is what I think. This is what I believe. We live through just looking through our own eyes, right? With perspective taking, you expand and get more flexible on your perspective, on your worldview. That can include me taking the perspective of like, what's it like to be Ross right now listening to this? You know, what, what's it like you to, to be you to ask me these questions or you're thinking about what's hap- what you're going to ask next? Is he enjoying this? Is he finding it useful? I have perspective taking of the listeners who are listening to this. What, you know, what type of listener is here and what kind of information would they f- find beneficial? And then also perspective taking on our own selves, being able to see ourselves from a different perspective, like, you know, our tomorrow self, what are they going to think? Um, or if we had a compassionate version of ourselves, what would they think? So perspective taking is a way to get out of your own kind of view. And if we think about that, it's benefit. 
it's beneficial in relationships. If you can get behind the eyes of another person, especially if it's like your partner, right, that you're having a conflict with or your colleague, your work colleague, it'll help you practice more empathy and be able also to be more emotionally intelligent um, in your interactions. If you can also have perspective taking when you are really struggling, it helps you get out of that narrowed kind of threat focused mind state that we can get into when we're um, struggling into more of an expansive view of like, what's really important here over the course of my lifespan? Is this, you know, what choice would be um, the one that would be most beneficial for me? It gets you into a wiser state of mind. Yeah, it really does. I feel like the fight or flight state is so narrow and constrained that we miss sight of what's important to us a lot of the time. So a post that you had online, Diana, was about wise effort. So sounds interesting. You know, I think everyone would like to be more wise, but what is wise effort? Well, there's different perspectives on it. So wise effort is actually one of the um, steps in the Eightfold Path of Buddhism. There's, um, you know, an Eightfold Path is considered the path to liberation in Buddhism. And there's lots of steps. There's wise intention, uh, wise view, which is kind of related to perspective taking. There's wise action. There's wise speech, All you know, all of that. But wise effort is one of them. And I take it a bit more of an integrative look at it in terms of what does psychology say about wise effort? I've been digging deep into this because I'm. Um, this is a book that I want to be right. I want to have out in the next couple of years on the concept, and it's something that I've lived a lot in my own life. The wisdom part has to do with um, your your own experience, your own understanding of yourself, getting curious about what's working for you and what's not working for you in your life. Also, integrating the wisdom of um, reputable and respectful others. You know of your wise counsel, people that are more expert than you, older than you, younger than you, um, that carry information. Wisdom also has to do with, with knowing your own values inside yourself. And then the effort part has to do with dialing up or down your effort and doing so in a way that is um, responsive to the present moment and uh, in line with those values. Sometimes I'll have people write a um, take like a piece of paper out and you can draw like on the um, horizontal line, a line that has two arrows at the end. And in the right hand direction is the direction of your values. And in the left hand direction is the direction that's away from your values. So first we start to have wisdom around what's towards my values, what's away from my values. And then you can also create another line that goes up and down. And this line, when it goes up, it's increasing your effort. And when it goes down, it's decreasing your effort. And this creates four quadrants. So the first quadrant is if I'm moving towards my values and I have high effort, I'm actually practicing wise effort. I'm doing, I'm, 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 I'm riding the, my edge, my edge of flexibility, my edge of comfort. I'm going out and like putting my voice into the world or I'm signing up for a race or I'm asking that girl out, right? So that is, that's wise effort. It's like uncomfortable, but it's really in the direction of your values. And then at the bottom um, right-hand corner is in the direction of your values, but low effort. And, and those activities are things that are just fun, enjoyable. They're activities that use your strengths. So for me, it's like, you know, in the direction of my values is we grow a lot of our own food. Um, and so going out and working in the garden is kind of low effort for me. It's just kind of puttering around, pulling weeds. But it's, it's also um, really important. That's sort of the fun side. 
But on the left-hand side of this four-quadrant model, you have things that are away from your values. When you do things that are away from your values and are high effort, they burn you out. There's lots of times where I get asked to do a talk or go, you know, do a presentation. And in, in my gut, it says, ooh, I could get paid a lot for that. Ooh, it has prestige, but I don't want to. It doesn't feel right to me. It's not really where my passion is. It's like, I don't really relate to this group or, and, and that, if I were to do that, it would slowly erode at my energy, right? And then there's also the low effort and low values, that quadrant. That's mindless scrolling. That's sitting on your couch. That's, you know, that, that low effort, low Eating values. That that, yeah. That low effort, low values is what, what is not worth it. Not use, not useful to you. So sometimes it's helpful to have that little four quadrant thing to start to explore. Where do you want to turn the volume up on your effort? Where do you want to turn it down? And are you pointing yourself in the direction of your values? Have a little, if you want to look at that diagram, I have it in my Instagram. If you want to actually see what I'm referring to, because sometimes it's hard to just picture it in your own head. Yeah, that sounds so useful. I think you could nearly stop at different time points in the day and just be like, okay, where is my effort being applied here? You know, mm-hmm. that would be so practical to uh, to write down on paper. So yeah. is it a case of you need to practice writing out the, the diagram to get better at wise effort? Can you just do it through your thoughts? What's kind of an effective approach to, to integrate it? Sure, you can do it through your thoughts. You can ask yourself, you know, is this in line with my values? Do I feel do I feel a lean to the right? Like sort of this is this is where my heart wants to be. This is the type of person I want to be in the world. And then you can ask yourself, well, is this something that, you know, I, I need to dial up my effort in or maybe I need to dial it back? And that's a lot of this has to do with tuning in to yourself, to your bodies. And um, so much of our world is pulling us out of our body. Uh, there's so much wisdom in there that we just override. And that's why I really like contemplative practices like yoga or meditation, because it's a dedicated time to tune in. And when you practice that, then when you're in your day, you already have that skill set. You have that muscle that's been built so that you can lean on it more. It's good you mentioned tuning in. So I did yoga for the first time in years about two weeks ago. And the minute they were doing chanting to begin and I was like, oh, here we go. This is, you know, this is not what I want. <laughs> and then it, they f- said, focus on the breath. Okay, so breathe into this posture and, you know, breathe out here. And the minute they said breath and I kind of tuned in, I was like, all right, this is it. This is why I'm here. And then afterwards, I felt so sort of light or, yeah, it was like I was carrying around like weight that I didn't even know. So, yeah, with the wise effort, how would someone kind of tune in? Is it just question asking? that they could tune in to see how they're applying their effort or is there other ways? Yeah. Hey, do you have an example? I think it's always better if we could apply it, apply it to something. Like, do you have something that you're not feeling um, something that's burning you out or something that you want to do differently or something you want to quit or something you want to put energy towards? Give me a second because there's definitely, there's always things to think of. I think saying yes to too many things. I think I like to, you know, be, I think busy, or involved in things and like, you know, to work out, to work, to work on long-term projects, short-term projects. So yeah, I think my issue is kind of saying yes to too many things. Maybe that's a bit vague though. No, we could work with that. So saying yes to too many things and, and why is that a problem for you? What, what's not working for you with that? What happens when you say yes to too many things? I've only got so much energy. So 
if if I'm kind of saying yes to too many things, I'm not prioritizing. Okay, this is this is a big yes. This is really important. I want to be you know fully present for this, or this is maybe something you know that actually I don't have the energy for. So I think I'm I'm misusing my energy because it's limited. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So sometimes you're putting energy into things that aren't as important to you, and then you don't have energy to put into the things that are important to you. Exactly. Yeah. And that's really common when we just sort of blankly say yes to everything. It's like going down the buffet line and putting everything on your plate instead of putting the things that you really want on your plate, right? Yeah. And 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 then the more stressed we get, um, the poorer we get with our decision making because we have that cognitive load of having said yes to, to so many things. I'm the same way. When my schedule, when I'm stressed, my schedule gets worse. I, I overbook myself. So the first question to ask yourself when you before you say yes is to say, is this in line with my values? Is this, is this, does saying yes to this support me in the person that I want to become in the world? And you need like a strong yes. If you, if you, especially if you say yes to too many things, you're going to need to start saying a lot more no. So that's the first part of it is like checking with your values. And you'll notice that um, you already know, you do know, but you need the pause. To check in on that. Do you have an example of something that somebody's asked you to do recently? Um, or that you've said yes to that there's a there's a friend's party coming up on a Saturday. And I I said yes, but I'm kind of like, I don't know, you know, I'm like, sure, this is a friend, but you know, I kind of like to have my Saturday free. So if if something comes up on the day, I can just decide, oh hey, I'm gonna go do this thing in the city or this thing, you know? Yeah. 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 So so there's a part of you that is saying, oh, I'm not sure if this is what I really want. I like to have my Saturdays free because there's, you probably are pretty scheduled human. And so having one more thing on your schedule, it interferes with that, that free time. So you can feel that inside of you. And then you could also feel that if you were to say no to your friend, there, um, there would be some negative feelings that would come up probably associated with that. Right. So what are some of those? There's like an, yeah, there's like a name for it. It's like you want your friends. What is it? No, it's not people pleasing. It's more like you don't want to let a friend down or you want to, you want to be a good friend and be, you know, present and show up. Right. So that's, I guess what yeah. I'm battling with. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another value of yours to be, a, to be a good friend and be present and show up. And this would, could be one of those things that you think of as um competing, you know, I want to take care of myself and have the flexible Saturday and have my adventure. And then I also want to be a supportive friend and have them know that I care about them. It's a birthday. Party. I think it, I think it's a birthday. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe more detail yeah. is like I reserve the Saturday for time with my partner. So like me and her will oh. we can just do whatever we want. So I'm like this yeah. is this is you know that's I have that boxed away in my head, and I'm like this yeah. party. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's then, definitely competing yeah. for me. Yeah. So then we look at wise effort of like is it and this is the both end think, thinking. Because the next question is strengths. So one is this is lined up with my values. And, and there's a part of you that's like, oh, I'm really feeling the pull to my partner here. I'm also, I do want to be a good friend. So how, how could I be flexible? How could I create something um, that is, is uh, able, that I'm able to be with my partner and also be a good friend? And, and, and so it's, it's question, funny that you just yeah. said earlier about yeah. how you said something along the lines of we know the answer already. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like. It's not like the party's going to take all day and the time my partner's going to take all day. Like, there's, 
there's definitely a scenario where I can leave the party early and, you know, you know, I could do potentially both or, you know, it's almost like the answer's coming to me, but it's just the question. It wasn't forthcoming, but yeah, sorry to stop. There you go. See, you're already getting flexible because oftentimes when we're not, when we don't go into our values, we're so rigid, right? But you're already getting flexible that maybe I could do this differently. And, and that, and then doing that differently. So then we ask ourselves, like, how could I apply my strengths here? What are some of my strengths or what makes things that are hard easier? (laughs) You know, so what, you know, sort of your character strengths and the sense that I have of you, Ross, is that you are a really good friend, that your friends know that you care about them, that you have a great way of communicating with people. You do this for a living. You do, you know, you communicate as part of your job. My guess is that that's one of your strengths and that you could use that strength when you're setting the limit or boundary with your friend and saying, you know, I need to, I really want to be here and I need to leave early because I got to spend time with my partner. You know how, you know how important she is to me. And that you could use some of those strengths to help you be able to find a more flexible solution. So the first question is about values. The second question is about how could I use my strengths here? The third question is about how could I, is this something that is of service beyond just me? And even the fact that you were saying, well, maybe I could go for a little bit is an indicator that you're still tending to the other person. You know, you're not being super selfish and being like, I'm never going to, it's, I don't want to do this. You're, You're still tending to what this other person is. Um, wanting. And then the fourth question is, is this fun? And, uh, and we often will, something that depletes us over time is we just do a lot of effortful things that are not fun. And how could we actually approach this going to the party? If you go for a little bit or spending time with your partner, both of them, how could you approach it with a fun mindset? Like I'm going to, I'm going to savor this and get as much out of it as possible, as opposed to the dread mindset that we often will feel like we have when we're pushing ourselves to do something, when we're forcing ourselves to do something. So I would encourage you to have that fun mindset in whatever you decide to do. I think that was a great example of how, you know, ACT works, the benefits of being flexible in our thinking. And that's a great question. Is this fun? Because I think it's it's almost this irrational, like the FOMO that people get, I get it sometimes where it's like, oh, I'm missing out. But then if I just ask myself, you know, is this commitment or whatever it is, is it going to be fun? That would just be such a good, simple question among all the other ones. So yeah, that's a really nice little template or framework to use. Yeah. How can I make it fun? Yeah. Sometimes we don't have a choice, and but we do have a choice with our mindset of how can I make this fun? And a lot of that has to do with being present in it and, and looking through the eyes of gratitude. You know? And like I, I get to, is it? As opposed yeah, I to, I to. have to. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So for me, a relevant topic that flows nicely here is burnout so we said saying yes to too many things so um you've got some nice posts on you know why are you burned out at work what to do about it and mismatches at work so can you talk just a little bit about burnout and you know i definitely i feel like at least once a year i'll get into a situation in a week where i feel burnt out so you know if someone is on that or just even for me the next time i'm going on that path what is kind of tools or techniques we can use to navigate that situation yeah, well, a lot of what I've written about on burnout um, is ACT-based, but also from some of the work um, from uh, Dr. Maslach, who's at UC Berkeley and has been studying burnout for decades. And what she really talks about is that burnout is a mismatch between us and our environment. So a lot of times we blame it on ourselves, like, oh, I took too many things on. But it also has to do with the context that we're in and whether our environment is also burning us out. She said something like, uh, 
you know, a, a pickle doesn't become a pickle until it's in a brine, right? So it starts out as a cucumber. We're all cucumbers and then we get a little bit sour. And I only we're... learned that about yeah. a month ago. <laughs> yeah. So, so what, tell me about your burnout. What's an example of you being burned out? An example, I think, is not taking enough time to kind of, you know, chill out or, or sort of relax maybe on a daily basis or on the weekends. So it's kind of like I get into a cycle of getting up early and starting work even on a weekend and then finding it hard to do something that's like regenerative or restorative or even that kind of fun that we talked about, something that's purely just it's not work. It's just I'm doing this for enjoyment because that's an important value of mine. So that's kind of where the burnout comes up. So one thing I would ask you is what are some of the thoughts that are driving you to, to work on the weekends? Like what if I were to get inside your head, what's the thought? I think to get ahead or sort of, you know, take an opportunity or I don't know. I think it's, it's I've heard of it before. It's kind of like that immigrant mentality of, you know, I'm new to the, to the States and I have to, you know, hit the ground running. And yeah, I'm not sure exactly, but something along those lines. Okay, so that's really helpful, too, because you're also talking about um, something way bigger, which is the context of, of you, like you being an immigrant, you having had a, you know, certain, maybe something told to you about what you need to do to get ahead. We, we live in also a, a culture of doing and productivity where, um, you know, like we're over fertilizing our, our plants and we're over productive, you know, fertilizing ourselves in terms of our expectations for ourselves. And that gets us into drive mode, right? So a lot of burnout isn't only about only about you. It's not that like it's your fault that you are, you know, working so hard on Saturday Saturday mornings. Probably that hard work ethic has been very beneficial to you, and also probably some of that hard work ethic isn't isn't even your own in the first place. So there's a context that's contributing to that. But one of the things that we can look at in burnout is yes, the mismatch between demands versus resources. So how much energy do, I, energy do I actually have? And then how much am I ex expecting myself to put forth? But some other things that are really um, interesting in the burnout research have to do with things like um, not just rest, but also support. You know, like doing something with somebody else, the, the, the benefits of relationship, of friendship, of partnership in terms of our own physical health. I interviewed um, the Harvard Health Study uh, leader, um, Robert Waldinger, who's looked at how our our relationships at age 50 predict our health at age 80, right? So the number one thing that is a predictor of our longevity is our relationships. And so that's something that we often neglect when we're overworking is we stop um, using our relationships as a support and resource and we neglect that value. And then another area that can happen um, with burnout is that that's we talked about earlier is we forget what's most important to us. We forget our values. We forget our why behind this. And uh, so we just do. And when you have a good sense of your values, when you have good social support, you have a sense of community. Those are all things that, and then you can also reduce your workload. Those are all things that help with burnout, but it's going to require confronting some of those thoughts, maybe diffusing some of those thoughts and being able to accept the discomfort of not working on a Saturday morning. <laughs> or the comfort. It could be a lot more comfortable, it sounds like. Or the comfort. But for some people, for some high achievers, it's actually quite uncomfortable to be still. Um, the drive system is so overdeveloped. And oftentimes that drive system is in response to our threat system. So for many high achievers, 
they feel threatened. They feel, they feel like, oh, I'm behind. Oh, I'm, you know, I don't have enough resources. And so you go, this is evolutionarily, so our brain is designed, right? You feel threatened, so you go into drive. And unfortunately, when your drive system and your threat system are hyper-stimulated, overstimulated, it can lead you to, yes, burning out and losing track of your goals. So the, the compassion system or the values-based system helps down-regulate our drive and down-regulate our threat. So we're making wise decisions on how we use our time. And it's, it's sort of like HIIT training, right? You, don't, you wouldn't do 40 minutes of straight all out. It's actually better for you to do 40 seconds on, 20 seconds off. Like that's the best thing that you can do for your body. The same is true for our psychology, you know, our systems. The same is true for our farming, right? You know, traditional farmers would farm a field and then they'd leave the field fallow. And the, the time that the field is fallow is important time. That's when the soil is being regenerated. That's when all the micro, you know, the microbes are getting reestablished. That's when the weeds are planting and they're, they're strengthening the soil. So our expectation for ourselves to be on 24-7 is actually not the most productive thing that we could do. We'd be much more productive if we take that time off. Kind of reminds me of the point you made earlier about the answers kind of will come a little bit. And it's like, if I took the rest portion of my day as serious as the work part, I could regenerate or sort of feel less burned out. Yeah. So yeah. it's an interesting way to think about things. Yeah. So you talk a little bit about body image, Diana. So how it relates with act and how being thin is not a value. And I feel like, again, you know, being busy is like a societal value. Being thin is a societal value. And it's just like, yeah, but why or where is it coming from? So can you just talk a little bit about that and a little bit about how body image and, and act connect? Sure. Well, I worked, my early research was in eating disorders and um, I ran a treatment center for eating disorders before going into private practice and also have my own recovery from um, disordered eating. And the way that, um, you know, oftentimes we can get hooked into that belief of like, you know, thin, whatever, thin, or being in shape is not a value either, right? So if maybe it's not thin, somebody else wants to be big. Um, but the idea behind that is that really, what is it that you're looking for in being thin? What is it you're looking for in being in shape? And for a lot of people, what they're actually looking for is a couple of things. Maybe they're looking for a peace of mind. Maybe they're looking for to feel that they're good enough. Maybe they're looking for connection and um, being able to be um, accepted by others. And the way in which they're going at it is by trying to control their food or control their body. But that actually is, it's like a, um, it, it's a, it's a, they call it hungry ghosts in Buddhism. Like it, it's something like a, that will never actually fully ever be satisfied because it's not really what you want. So if what you're really, if you're looking for what's underneath that desire to be thin is to have deeper connections with people or to feel that you are good enough or to have peace of mind, there are pathways to get there that are much more effective. Um, those pathways are things like being vulnerable. Those pathways are things like take, you know, rest. Those pathways are things like um, being more flexible in your life. And when we get hooked by the thin, it pulls us that arrow again towards values away from values. It actually can pull us away from the very thing that we want. Well, so it's it's actually, if we don't think about our values, the values we sort of inherit can be counterproductive. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Or the behaviors that we that we engage in can lead us away from our values. 
sure. I mean, there was there was a period of my life. So in my college years, I was really deeply into my eating disorder. Um, I started out with anorexia and then became really bulimic. And um, in in college, I was like a superstar. I got the top prize in organic chemistry. It was at this large university it used to be the top prize in organic chemistry, the top prize in biology, the top prize in psychology. I had every prize that you could have, right? And I remember going up and getting the award. For me, the organic chemistry one was like a big one because I kind of stomped on all the pre-med students to get it. And I felt, you know, but I went up and got the award. And at the same time that I was getting that award, it had no weight to it. Because in order to get that, I had to have an eating disorder. In order to get that, I had to have no friends. You don't get the top prize in organic chemistry unless you're studying 24 hours a day. You're not like developing friendships, right? And in that moment, I recognized, wow, th this is what I wanted. So people feel that way about their bodies. You can have the perfect body, but what are you giving up to get that? And 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 in in is the very thing that you're getting giving up to get that the very thing that you were trying to strive for, you know? I, I wanted to get the top prize so the people so it would be good enough so people would like me, but it didn't really make people like me more. It just maybe you know maybe feel jealous of me or feel like oh who's she? It didn't make me feel any better about who I was or any more connected. So that's this, what we have to start to unravel is that oftentimes our behaviors are not lining up with the life that we really. And there is a letting go aspect of that, you know, the, the letting go of being the best sometimes or letting go of the perfect body because you're choosing to pick up something that is actually much more deep, deeply um, in line with who you want to be. Yeah, like you said earlier, a, a contemplative approach is, is very useful in this type of scenario so that you don't get caught up in like the, the hungry ghost type of situation like you're just mentioning. So another post you have is on non-attachment and, you know, why we should practice it. And you talked a little bit about Buddhism already. So, you know, what is non-attachment and, you know, how is it useful? Yeah, well, so in, in Buddhism, the three causes of suffering um, are attachment, which is like craving, you know, um, or aversion, which is pushing away. And then delusion, which is just not seeing things clearly, right? And so a lot of times we, you know, in ACT, we talk a lot about like avoidance is it causes a lot of our problems when we push things away. But attachment can cause a lot of our problems too, like attachment to our ego, attachment to things, attachment to some kind of ideal. And when we are attached to something, you can almost imagine like um, holding grains of sand in your hand, like a fist, you know? And the, the, the more that you grip, right, the more energy you are onto holding those, having hold onto those grains of sand, and also the less ability that you have to actually use your hand for other things, right? So non-attachment is maybe opening up your hand into a palm and letting that sand be there and letting some of it fall off and some of it stay. But then you actually have more flexibility to use that hand in ways that um, may be more useful to you. Things that I've gotten attached to in my life have been, you know, attachment to um, looking a certain way, attachment to certain exercise programs, attachment to certain people liking me, um, attachment. People get, some people get really attached to like numbers, like making, you know, their whole mood goes up and down based on whether or not they got likes on something or not. You can feel the edge of dissatisfaction 
that comes when you are attached. Because the one thing that is guaranteed in life is that everything is going to change. The things that you like are going to change and the things that you don't like are going to change. And there's peace in that. There's peace in that. So no matter what suffering you are in right now, it will change. And no matter what is so great about right now, it will also change. With non-attachment, we practice acceptance of, of, of that and it helps us get more into the present moment as well. Very good. So like, would, would uh, an effective approach with non-attachment be to enjoy change? Is that a, is that a possible sort of approach? Yeah, expect change, enjoy change, harness change. You know, so attachment for me would have been if I said to my 13 year old son, nope, no couch for you. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm going to, I'm going to attach to this belief that we do not have couches because I identify with as the person that does not have couches. And I, now I have a little ego around it. Right. But that would be shooting myself in the foot because I've never seen my son. He'd just be in his room the whole time. So non attachment is being willing to let that go and say, Hey, what, what would be another possibility here? To, to continue to evolve and um, and grow and change. And that is the one guarantee. So yeah, you could you could learn to enjoy, enjoy it. Sometimes the first step isn't necessarily enjoying it. It's just being willing to have it. So yeah, to let things be. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like knowing your values and then being flexible comes into it as well. So you can actually say like, not so much that I'm going to be attached to a certain thing, but you're sort of going to, value something over something else and you can kind of navigate situations more easily when you know the other skills i I feel like they all tie in together they do they're like sides of a rubik's cube so you can't work on one without working on the other they all influence each other and they're processes so my podcast is called your life in process for a reason because it's all in process where it's it's all you know unfolding and evolving over time and letting yourself be in the process of your life as it is right now and not holding on to it, you know, or not needing it to be anything different than it, than it is, but showing up as the best version of you to the best of your ability, given the context you're in and the circumstances you're in. And that's all we can really do. But if we all were to do that, you know, we, we, we probably would make the planet a little bit better place. You know? Yeah, that's the hard part about life, just showing up for, for everything, I think, or as much as, as we can. But Anna, this has been great. Thank you very much for making the time to appear in the podcast again. Is there anything you want to mention before we wrap up or any final message you want to leave people with? Yeah. So I have a free gift for folks. I have a meditation that's a, a compassion meditation. Um, if you go to drdianahill.com slash gifts, there is a meditation there as well as like a little ebook on the act processes that give you prompts to use them in your life. And join me. Come on over to the um, Your Life in Process if you want to learn more about these processes of ACT. And also I have like really diverse guests and different topics, whatever I'm into. That's what kind of shows up on the show. And I'm getting way more um, flexible myself in my podcasting. So I think that you would enjoy that. And then you can just learn more about me at drdianahill.com. Very good. Yeah, I've actually got into meditation a bit more recently and I heard a really good quote. It's like, try meditation first thing in the morning for 10 days. and if it doesn't work out for you, we'll refund you your misery. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. Sometimes it takes a little longer than 10 days and um, it doesn't have to be every day either. No. We can meditate with our Yeah, we can be flexible. Thank you. So thank you, Ross. It's been happy. Thank you for having me.
yeah great to have you back on diana thanks very much and